Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Uh, welcome to Living Free on 3CR Community Radio. 855kHz on your AM dial. Thanks to the Ruminations crew for another great show highlighting issues around homelessness. Uh, my name's Bill, and for the next hour, my guests will be sharing their journey of recovery from active drug addiction. I'd like to welcome Michael and Sandy to the 3CR studio this afternoon. Hi. Thank Thanks, you very Bill. much. As members of Narcotics Anonymous, they're going to share their experience with drug addiction and how Narcotics Anonymous has helped them. Michael, we'll, we'll start from with you. We usually go back to you know, childhood, what it was like growing up, the sorts of things that were happening, how you fitted in at home. Um, so... And and when you first started getting in touch with dependents, things that would would help you. Um, so, what was what was life like growing up for you? Oh, um, when I was quite young, um, I, I remembered feeling ov- overwhelmed by this um, isolation. I guess um, my, my parents split when I was quite young so um, I didn't really fit in you know I had a, a larger family unit I'm oh, sorry a larger extended family unit um, that they were, I was a part of but I still didn't really feel like I belonged anywhere um, and yeah coming I guess from or, or, always um I don't know how, how can I say it. Um, yeah, just that that feeling inside, um, like like I didn't really belong, or I didn't I didn't have a, a place to feel safe. Um, for me, was sort of what predominated my early childhood. Um, so yeah, um, and and coming into you know being I guess around around family functions and gatherings um there was always alcohol present so um you know it, it just seemed normal for me um and then when, when I was offered about seven or eight a shandy you know the, for the first time and that feeling of of freedom and you know aliveness um where things didn't didn't matter so much anymore um was what I thought was wonderful, you know, I'd, I'd really found this. Um, and then when my aunt said, no, you can't have another one. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't really understand that. So, um, yeah, I guess from an early age is probably where it started for me. Yeah. yeah. So your dad was a drinker? Um, yeah, I came from, yeah, as I said, um, a lot of the family drank. Um, and yeah, I lived alone with my dad. So, um, you know the way we dealt with problems was to to not talk about them to you know sweep them under the rug um and so i i discovered from an early age that that's that's how we did things and so that's that's how i did things um well when i was younger it was sort of um i don't know there was a lot of shame and a lot of um you know negativity around around feelings so um I, I didn't develop any early tools on how to do that. So, and w- as I grew up, I saw that you know basically, um, you know, drinking was was how we did things as well. Um, well, how my family did things, and so for me to fit in, you know, I had to do that as well. Um, and uh, I guess moving moving from there, you know, the friends I I gravitated towards. Um, you know, um, and any balanced families seem, seemed a bit rigid and rigorous. Um, and, um, you know, um, and any places where, where friends live, where I went, where, you know, they, they had loose boundaries that seemed a lot more attractive to me. So, um, you know, I'd hang around with probably about two or three friends when I was growing up and, um, and spend all my time with them and even avoid coming home. So, um, yeah. So not 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 enjoyable. No. Well, 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 no. Yeah. Um, you know, there was. Um, I guess it, yeah. A, again, the the feeling of not really fit, fitting in. So yeah. yeah. So how did that progress? 
Um, well, well, I guess through uh, you know a high school, um, you know, I, I would drift from group to group. I became a bit of a chameleon, where you know um, I, w- I would adapt to the surroundings. Um, I would also, um, you know, do things to to encourage people to like me because I I didn't know how to relate. Um, and so I would either do stuff like vandalism or, um, you know, light my bedroom on fire accidentally. <laughs> um, um, so, um, I can still be a bit weird, but, um, not crazy. Um, that's a matter of opinion, I guess. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, so so it progressed where, you know, I started using, you know, different drugs or alcohol more regularly. I even, you know, huffed, um, you know, fumes. It wasn't called chroming back then. I don't, don't even know what it was called. But, um, yeah, so um, – and, and that became a real social thing for me, you know. And initially it was – where I was liked, where people would come to my place, where where I was cool, um, where I was accepted, and um, you know I felt like you know I was a part of, and and um, and my family didn't understand, or they would never get me, or um, but but I, I now see that as just being a teen actually, where where parents you know don't get their kids, so yeah, mm. yeah, it's pretty common, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, so with with you, Sandy, you um, you started pretty early too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I guess um, in my childhood, like I was always um, seen as a real anxious sort of child. My parents um, separated when I was two years old. Um, from then, I guess they had a lot of anger about what went on with each other, and and would often. Um, say things about one another and I guess it left me feeling well my parents dislike each other like where do I fit in kind of thing um I yeah I was always so anxious as a kid I didn't like meeting new people I um I was even afraid of like my uncles some family members I um yeah I was just a really sort of anxious kid and and um it progressed I guess into into separation anxiety with my mum like I couldn't leave my mum um from an early age, like, I just didn't know, um, I didn't know, I, I guess I didn't trust anyone. Um, I just had a lot of trust issues from a young age and then um, going through and, and feeling uncomfortable like that, I guess. Um, I remember my dad giving me alcohol probably when I was when I was about nine or ten years old, um, just a sip out of out of other drinks or so and um I remember the first taste and I thought wow um like this is really um it was really exciting really sort of um I felt like more straight away I guess and and I wasn't given anymore but in my mind I remember thinking still like wow um that is good. <laughs> um, yeah, and and I had a lot of OCD. I remember from five years old, like, having to do things a certain amount of time and, and that just was with my anxiety, I guess. Um, yeah, growing up in those circumstances. Yeah. So what was it like at school? Um, at school as as a kid, um, actually in grade two, I was, I was, I was severely bullied in, in primary school and actually hit... Um, hit in the mouth by another grade two um and my mum decided then that that she should pull me out of that school and and decided to put me into a private school um so yeah there was a there was a lot of um issues even at at that age with other kids and and bullying and that sort of thing and and I ended up um changing schools and going to a different um, different school mum put me in a private school and and around that time um, she had previously had addictions to um to alcohol and she had been clean uh, sober um, for about 11 years at that stage and she um she decided to pick up a drink because I guess things were going well um, she wasn't really doing much of aA the fellowship that she was in and um, 
and yeah, I guess my life um, started to change a whole lot more. Um, I guess at at that age, like I needed nurture from my mum and that sort of stuff, and and around that time, um, going through puberty and, and all that sort of stuff, all the major changes, changing school and that sort of thing, and and um, I guess that worsened my anxiety, and and I started to get symptoms of depression. Yeah. Okay. Um, so did I think you were sort of saying that alcohol was the, the drug of choice at that point, but you didn't really know it. So what did you progress with alcohol? Yeah, yeah, I progressed with alcohol. Um, I guess being in the home where, where alcohol was um, was the thing to do, um, I saw my caregiver, like, drinking on feelings, um, if they were angry, mad, sad, um, that was the thing to do, just drink some alcohol, um, which I couldn't understand at the time. But I obviously unconsciously saw that as a solution to life, I guess. And and I remember being about about 13 years old and and my, my nan had some whiskey in her cupboard and, and I'd seen that and I'd remembered um, unconsciously what, what was happening in my house and, and consciously remembered drinking um having a few sips here and there um, as a kid and I found the whiskey and I stole some some whiskey from my nana and um, and put some water in to replace it and um, I remember I think I'd just turned 14 like it was my birthday and and I remember depression like feeling this overwhelming sad feeling and and just crying in my room and I didn't know what what was wrong um it was just this always this sense of depression and, and not belonging and I had saved the whiskey um because I knew that I might need it at a stage like that and and no 13 or 14 year old really knows that so again I think I think that came um from witnessing people using alcohol um as a solution and and I drank the whiskey and I remember feeling I was still really sad but I remember thinking, like, this is going to get me through. Um, this is going to get me through the hard times. Like, when I feel like this, I I can use this um, to help me get through. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, Michael, um, you, you've been inhaling substances, vapours. Um, so did you move on to other drugs? Um. <clears throat> I did. I did. Um, I think uh, not long after, uh, actually, um, while I was still at school, um, I started experimenting with what's called softer drugs. Um, And, um, you know, initially, you know, uh, as I said, um, it was sort of a gateway to me to becoming popular um, within a specific group, I guess. and and it was fun and um you know it was freeing it felt like i was actually you know exposed to to the spectrum of life and not just this sort of gray mundane thing that i've become used to um and and i guess from from it went on from there you know that that cannabis became my drug of choice but um you know it, i used it as a launching pad to experiment with other drugs, um, I always tended to find myself going back to that. Um, it, it was comfortable for me, and I guess in a way it was numbing. It, it helped me to escape. Um, it helped me to forget about things. Um, you know, um, you know some of the situations I'd, I'd caused or had a part in, um, or some of the mistakes I'd made that I'd punished myself for or felt ashamed for and it helped me you know forget about that and also early childhood stuff where um you know I had you know low self-esteem or you know I thought that my parents splitting up I I was the cause of that or um that sort of stuff um so yeah I, I developed depression as well um and that went undiagnosed for you know a couple of decades and um you know, I, I chose to treat it with a depressant drug, um, thinking that that, that would um, that would somehow <laughs> solve the problem. <laughs> solve the problem. And, and I guess that's the insanity of it. You know, you, you, you're thinking you're, you're actually fixing your problems. But, um, 
yeah, as I said, for me, that was a, a great way to escape. Yeah. So did that bring you in conflict with the family, all that drug use? Um, it, it did bring things to a head in my late teens. Um, there, there was an incident involving, you know, um, uh, me sticking up what I thought of, sticking up for my girlfriend, and um, and um, eventually it led to a, you know, a fist fight between myself and my mum, uh, my stepmother and my father, um, and... Um, you know, other family members had to get involved to to you know try and convene and and work out a a solution, um, and you know I I couldn't see what my part was in that, and um, it, it, for me it was I guess it was the initial um, red flag of me becoming controlling and violent, um, and. Yeah, again, I didn't see it as a as a problem at the time, but not not long after that, I moved out of home um, because that's what I, you know, I saw people or places or things in in my way, or I blamed them rather than looking at my own issues. Mm. So you're pretty young, so that would have meant um, looking for work to move out. That's... <laughs> yeah, um, I, I did. Um, I sort of drifted from job to job. I didn't really hold down, you know, I didn't have a great career path, um, even though um, I considered myself to be quite intelligent. I left school early um, and I did a various amount of labouring jobs um, that were probably a bit below what I was capable of. But um, at the time, all I wanted to do was basically get money in order to support my habit. Um Although I wasn't consciously aware of it at the time, that's that's in effect what I was doing. Um, I ended up working for a charity organisation where I was supposed to, um, you know, teach or lend a hand to um, to people who weren't, you know, who were disadvantaged. And and in the end, you know, I was actually disadvantaged as well. But um, but you know, I I found myself living you know separate lives and. Um, where I'd wear one hat during the day and um, and another one at night um, and it become further fragmented, you know, the longer I went on. So, mm. yeah. so I guess um, not working much and using substances must have caused you some money problems. <laughs> um, it, it did, it did. Um, and I did a few, you know, different things to, to get money. Um, anything from... You know, breaking into cars into the street, um, to um, stealing money from my parents, or even when I was working, um, you know, stealing money from employers, um, um, including my mother-in-law. Um, so, you know, all this was an attempt to to keep, you know, people from seeing who I really was and what I was really doing. So it was all subversive behaviour in an attempt. To you know, disguise what was actually going on. Okay, um, so back to you, um, Sandy. Um, yep. I think you, yeah, you were just sort of in primary school. So, if did primary school work out in the end? Um, <laughs> did it work out? <laughs> um, well, when I was about thirteen, fourteen, um, I just started high school. Um, Primary school, I was a bit, I was a bit of a, um, a loner, I guess. Um, I hung out with a lot of, a lot of the boys, and um, and would be quite into sports and that sort of thing. And and I really enjoyed um, playing sports. And um, when I entered high school, I actually got a scholarship for um, for academics and um, really enjoyed my tennis. Um, that sort of thing. But it was a, it was a really hard time for me, I guess, starting a new school. Um, <clears throat> mum was drinking quite heavily at that stage and her, her behaviours, I guess, um, home life wasn't the greatest. Um, so it started to go, I guess, downhill from there. Um, I mentioned having my first drink and, um, and yeah, like just feeling, feeling that alleviation. Um, so yeah, I guess I, I started drinking more and more from then. Um, I'd binge drink at parties and this and that and, um, 
and my behaviour was quite out of control when I drank. Um, I guess a lot of people say weed's um, a gateway drug, but really alcohol um, this is the comes before that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was my um, circumstance for sure. Right. Um, so how much did you drink? Um, I'd, I'd get straight bottles of vodka, um, like big straight bottles of vodka and just down as much as I possibly could when I was binge drinking. I remember attending parties. I remember kick, getting kicked out of, um, formal because I was, I was quite drunk, uh, with a boyfriend at the time and, and I was trying to smoke in the bathrooms and they <laughs> caught me and, and kicked me out. So, um. So yeah, and and whenever I go to parties, I'd I'd steal people's alcohol that brought alcohol because the alcohol I got wasn't enough. Yeah. Um, I just needed more, and and um, yeah, needed that sense of pain to be gone, and and that enjoyment that I initially got from from alcohol. Um, and um, I guess I was about fifteen years old, and I moved out of home for a month because um, the home circumstances got too much, and. And um, I was quite depressed and had that self-loathing, that sort of talk, like, oh, I'm making my mum drink. I'm the reason my parents split up. I'm the reason for this. I'm the reason for that. Um, so I moved out of home for about a month and, and stayed with friends. And um, luckily enough, um, I guess that was my mum's rock bottom and, and she stopped drinking then. Um, still, things weren't the best when, when I returned home, but... Um, it was improving, however, like I was going through my through my own stuff. I had severe anxiety, I had depression, I had OCD from a young age and and all that kinda um stopped me from stopped me from doing things. Um I was extremely paranoid about stuff and, and at that stage um I had to go into treatment into um a psych ward. Um, because it all just got too much and, and at a young age, like I felt like committing suicide. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, yeah. A, not a good place to be. No, no. no. Awesome. We might, we might leave it there. As I mentioned earlier in the show, uh, one of our previous presenters, uh, Pete Fraser, um, died recently and he was, um, living free show presenter for many years and he passed away from cancer last Friday. Um, his friend and co-presenter Jude wrote of him. The quality that defined Pete was his generosity, with his time, with his expertise, and also with his wealth. Pete was a saxophone player and a heroin addict for many years until he got clean in his 40s. After, afterwards, he dedicated much of his life to helping others, including broadcasting about addiction on 3CR's Living Free show. Uh, Pete was an early addition to the show and was a regular, sometimes the only presenter, until just a few years ago. As a broadcaster, Pete was warm, humorous and friendly, breaking down the thorny topic of addiction and making it interesting. Many people thought the topic of addiction should be covered in, in isolation, but Pete would cheerfully throw in Marxism, human rights, music, left-wing political active, activism to sort out a potent radio brew. And she concludes with, Pete, you'll be missed. Uh, I was fortunate to meet Pete on my first appearance on the show a few years ago, and like Jude said, you really didn't know where the discussion would end up with Pete. Pete was very friendly, and he's going to be missed by all. I've got a short audio grab that um, Jude sent down, so I'll just play that now. You have to listen up. I'll turn it up first. Recovery Radio, the Living Free Show, on 3CR, once, two, on Thursdays. And this show was started out of, uh, out of Galliambula, uh, Aboriginal rehab in St Kilda. <laughs> but what happened from that, uh, humble beginnings was that Ross stepped in and then Lester came in and as members started to come in rather than people just talking about their drug experience. So that's why we changed the name to The Living Free mm -hmm. because it, mm. it wasn't so much about the drinking and drugging, drugging. it was about yeah. how to live. I might have been a heroin addict for a long time but I got well. What helps uh, keeps me strong in the day? I don't know, a will to live really. Because you know, you've, really... you've been off heroin for what, 18 years now? Yeah. So I was talking off here about mm. my mother being mm. taken hostage when I was a little boy by an alcoholic mm. who just lived, he just moved in. And, mm. uh, I, you know, I was the little man of the house as a kid and uh, this, this monster came in. And uh, what you were saying is that, look, you, you know, give yourself permission. You're not a hostage. Sharing yeah. arts, experience, strength and hope. And whatnot. With the listeners out there. A little bit of whatnot and whatever, as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of whatnot. A lot of whatnot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
Interesting um, bit of history there. Um, also, one of Pete's friends, uh, Lenny Sharman, has um, written a song about Peter, which, which is called Remembering Peter Fraser, which I'll play right now. And that was uh, Remembering Peter Fraser by Lenny Sharman. Um, Peter Fraser also did the sax on that track. Uh, you're listening to Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Podcasts of the show are available on 3cr.org.au forward slash livingfree and they're also published on iTunes. If you have a question or comment about the show, then you can call the station on 94198377 or send us an email at 3crlivingfree at gmail.com. We're on Facebook at 3crlivingfree and also on Twitter at 3crlivingfree. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we had the uh, Radiothon for um, 3CR and for Living Free. Uh, we managed to exceed our target of $1,000 by over $550, so thank you very much. There's a couple of uh, donations that have come in in the last week or so. Uh, one was from uh, Matt Vanilli from Brunswick, $10. Thanks, Matt. And also John, $50. Thank you very much, you two. Um, so that really takes us up. So we're over 50% over our target, which is excellent. Um, if you're still interested in donating to 3CR for the Radiothon, um, you can call them on 9419 or go to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. Find out how you can donate to the uh, to our annual Radiothon. Um, I think we're up to 200,000 out of 250,000, so there's only 50,000 to go, so which is a pretty good result so far. Um, I'm talking to Michael and Sandy uh, with my co-host Astrid, who's sitting quietly here with us. Um, and we're talking about um, Narcotics Anonymous and how that can help drug addicts recover from drug addiction. Um, so um, I might start with you, uh, Michael. So you had a fallout with your, your father caused, caused by um, an altercation, um, which caused you to move out. Um, so moving out at a young age, pretty hard, working for the first time. Um, so what was it like, you know, being under 20, living on your own and having, having drug habits? Sounds scary to me. <laughs> yeah, I probably wouldn't describe it as being fun. Um, but but for me, I, I I guess I really didn't know any different. Um, and yeah, when you're 19 and and you're a drug addict, um, yeah, that that can be pretty dangerous as well. Um, yeah. I think that the feeling of isolation um, is probably the predominant one for for me during that time, um, and and it didn't really get any better. Um, you know, the the, the pressure um, to to do, you know, to to work and and pay my own way, and also, um, you know, support a drug habit as well. Um, and so I fell into a common trap um, for for a lot of addicts, which is to deal drugs as well. Um, so I, for some time, I worked and dealt drugs. Um, but I also, by doing that, I invited you know um, other addicts into my home. Um, you know, people that I didn't really know, um, that I'd just met at the tram stop or whatnot, and um, you know, then then I would you know, go and tell them I was going away on holidays and then come home to, you know, a flat that had been burgled and um, <laughs> um, so, you know, those sort of things. Um, Interesting life. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I would support friends, in inverted commas, um, you know, for their their criminal activities as well so that they would go and do whatnot and then, you know, come back to my place and and clean up what they needed to and go and sell whatever they'd stolen at cash converters or whatever. Um, and so, you know, sometimes I took part in that, sometimes I didn't. But um, at the end of the day, it became more and more about what I could do to, to get money um, and to to support my habit. So, mm. Mm. And at those dangerous positions that, that I put myself in, my partner in, and later on, you know, my family in as well, um, 
never really stopped you know that that consequential thinking that that most normal people have just sort of didn't 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 really exist for me um uh, most like other addicts as well mm. okay uh sandy uh we're talking about you in your late high school years um when you said you went i think you said uh your boyfriend had a boyfriend you were smoking weed and he was doing heroin so did that how did that take you um yeah well well um I don't know, like I was, I was drinking at the pub, that sort of thing, um, expressing myself that, that sort of way, um, I guess trying to, trying to block out those feelings and emotions that I was having. And, um, sadly I had a, I had a friend, um, that committed suicide from primary school, um, my best friend when I was 17 and, um, and that really added to the emotion that I was feeling. And, um, yeah, I was 18, I was in year 12 and, um, my my new boyfriend I, I found out he was it was about a month into the relationship and I found out he was on heroin and um I didn't really think of it as a big deal like I, I was um smoking weed I was I was drinking alcohol and and I didn't really know much about heroin I guess I was naive in that sort of sense and and I always thought to myself um I, co- I couldn't get um yeah weed one night and and I told him to give me some and and after a discussion about it, like I had some and, and I always thought like I was different. I couldn't get addicted. Um, I was still at school. I was I was at a private school, this sort of stuff. And, and addiction kind of wouldn't happen to me. But but I guess that all changed um, from the first time from the f- first time I, um, I smoked heroin and and earlier on even that. I thought it was the answer to to life. I thought it was the solution to life. It, it took away my pain. It took away um, my anxiety, my depression, and it made me feel as though um, I was just I was just in this bubble, um, just this little happy bubble that that I could go on with life. Um, so yeah, I guess I guess um, I can remember that that first night really well and and it progressed really quickly I guess um in the first couple of months the next day actually um I said I need more of that I need more of that and um and we we ended up spending me and me and my partner at the time like twenty thousand dollars in in the first um two or so months because that addiction I just needed more I just needed more and and it fueled um that addiction I guess and at first, yeah, I, I saw it as a solution and, and then some problems, I guess, started coming into it when I realised, <laughs> yeah. Did it help your depression? Um, at the start, it definitely did. I I looked forward to it. Like, I, I was going to school at that stage and I looked forward to getting home and I looked forward to um, to relaxing and, and having that time, um, time out, time to chill out, Um because that depression was a big part of my life and that anxiety was a big part of my life from a young age. Um, I guess I got some relief from it. Yeah, okay. Um, so did you manage to finish high school? Yes, I finished I finished year 12. I don't know how um, I look back on that time and, and I wonder how, but, um, but I, I finished year 12. I had to be um, put into a psych hospital again um, at that stage, I was on I was on drug replacement, trying to get off heroin, and and I was finishing Year Twelve exams with, um, I guess my depression, anxiety, and, and suicidal thoughts. So right. I don't know how I got through all that, but I did. <laughs> Sounds amazing. Most yeah. people have one of those things. Yeah. <laughs> Lucky me. Lucky you. Yeah. Um, so we are still in your relationship all through that period. Yeah. Yeah. I was in I was in that um, relationship from from early on when I was eighteen and. And I guess things started to get like we'd go down to the pub and have drinks, and and my behaviour was still, um, I guess, on heroin. It was predictable. Like I relaxed, I chilled out, I didn't do much else. But um, but when I was drinking, I was I'd go from one extreme to the next. I'd I'd be happy, I'd be singing and dancing and um, like singing karaoke, and the next minute I'd be causing fights and and harm at the pub and. And I'd be in the toilets at the end of the night, like bawling my eyes out. And my partner was affected by alcohol, and and he became um, quite aggressive and violent on it. So um, it wasn't 
it wasn't a good mix, I guess, whereas I thought heroin was the better because because it didn't cause those um, those harms like it did um, to my behaviour when I was on alcohol. Right, okay. Yeah. Um, so, Michael, um, back to you. Um, you're in your early 20s, working hard. What happens? <laughs> um, well... bit stumped um yeah i don't know i actually um uh, eventually i got married um and uh, we had a son together um and um you know um my wife um came from a slightly different upbringing than me and um the that that feeling of of separation and being different was probably even even more um, exact exacerbated. Yeah, th- that'll be the one. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so um, yeah, my using uh, ramped up quite a bit, um, and that that's when I went on to using um, harder drugs, and um, you know the pressure was on. Um, I um, had moved away from the northern suburbs of Melbourne down to the southeastern suburbs, and um, uh, I went back and studied, um, and I also started working for my mother-in-law as well. Um, only, you know, now my my drug use was accountable because my partner and I, you know, shared income, so... Um, I had to try and get money um, by other means, and um, I, as I already mentioned, you know, I um, I was managing a business for my mother-in-law at the time, and um, I started, you know, siphoning funds from the business, and um, and of course, um, eventually that came to a head as well. Um, and my my wife and I, my new wife and I, were were um, you know having marriage issues and. Um, and they were, you know, mainly caused by me. Um, you know, I couldn't communicate how I was feeling. I couldn't, um, I couldn't actually participate in in normal activities. Um, I always had to remove myself, um, you know, every now and then, and and escape to the northern suburbs for three or four days. And um, um, you know, I felt this overwhelming sense of unease. Um, and where, where I, I just didn't feel right. And, um, you know, I was sort of starting to put together the puzzle that, um, that, that I couldn't cope without, you know, using on a daily basis. Um, and, and my wife, as soon as she'd found out that we were pregnant, had basically said, well, that's it, you know, I'm not using anymore. And, um, and I said okay, and um, you know, but but I went and did things, you know, totally different. You know, I I would say one thing and 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 act a different way. We joined the gym in an attempt to get fit and you know replace you know our using with well me anyway my using with with getting fit. And then um, I probably went once or twice to this gym that we had a four year membership for, and and the rest of the time I would just you know. <laughs> Go, go to a friend's place and, and use. So, um, so yeah, a, again, I, I had to play two hats and um, or several hats. And, you know, the one that I really wanted to do was just me, the drug user, and, and the ones, you know, I had to wear were to keep everyone else happy or to control, you know, what they thought of me or, or anything like that. Um, and eventually, you know, I um, I siphoned our bank account and um, and took off because I couldn't I couldn't deal with with the um, I guess how I was feeling and um, that that overwhelming feeling of of not being in control anymore. Um, and I, I thought, still continued to think that that the drugs were the solution. But there was this there was this stirring thing um, that was happening in me that that I, the the realization that 
that the drugs were actually the problem was starting to come to the forefront of my mind. Yeah. And and I couldn't really work out a way to stop. Um, I tried um, going on antidepressants and they increased my energy, but they didn't really um, help. I mean, I didn't have any support networks. Um, all, all I had was um, other using associates and um, and family members who were sort of the enemy um, or the way I saw it in my mind anyway. Um, and, yeah, so um, uh, I took off with, with a bunch of money um, that wasn't actually mine. It was my father-in-law's. And, um, and, you know, I took off for a couple of months and came back to to a divorce and um, understandably so and um, and I moved back in with my parents um, and my life pretty went, pretty much went back to when I was 19 you know um, they they cooked for me they you know uh, they did my washing um, and and I was this 19 year old you know stuck in a in a 30 year old's body and um, you know, with with a nineteen year old's responsibilities, yeah. and um, and not really, you know, having a clue where, where I stood in the world or or where I should go from here. Um. So so that that kept going for another seven or or eight years, I think it was, um, where you know I, I would try and you know solve the this the same problem using the same solution that never worked before. And, and insanely thinking that it might work this time, um, where I'd try and do a geographical and, and live in the Grampians for a week or so until I ran out of, ran out of either money um, or drugs or food and, um, and then come back to Melbourne. And, um, yeah, thankfully it all ended one night when um, I, I was hanging out and... Um, um, I was destroying things in in my bedroom and my father came in and asked me what's wrong and um, I proceeded to pick him up and and smashing him up against the wall and yelling F off in his face and and then I knew what was wrong, you know. Um, The drugs were the issue but I was what was wrong and and that I'd tried various ways to to get off them myself and, and I couldn't. And I had to seek a new alternative. So, um, yeah, that was pretty much the beginning of recovery for me. Okay. Thank you. Um, so, Sandy, what, what about you? I'm going to say you've, you've got out of high school. Yeah. <laughs> back into the real world. Um, so how did, how did your drug use change once you, you know, left home and got out into the world yeah so I moved out of home when I was 18 and and school had finished up and and going to a private school and I guess having those pressures of of having to know what I needed to do um as well as fighting fighting um the start of addiction and and mental health um I decided to to go study accounting at um at a at a uni that was about uh, an hour and a half drive to and then an hour and a half drive home again because um I was I was um I guess enmeshed with enmeshed with my boyfriend's life and and quite codependent in this relationship um in this abusive sort of toxic relationship and um I went to I think I went to uni for about two weeks and then decided I could do the work from home watching lectures this and that and obviously um looking back at it now like I couldn't do all those things and and use heroin at the same time because it because it engulfed my life like that's all my life was and um yeah it wasn't it wasn't a fun time it was I need to do this um but it wasn't it wasn't a choice yeah yeah so what changed what caused you to rethink um I guess a few things um my cousin um my cousin got a brain tumour and um, coincidentally I was I was at hospital visiting someone else and I asked if she was there and I went in to go see her and, and um, she was about 40-something kilos. Uh, she had her head shaved off and, and they said she didn't have much chance of surviving and and there I saw this lady that, that had a beautiful smile. She had two beautiful kids and 
um, and a partner and, and she wanted to she wanted to live so much but I wanted to die so much and and I started to kind of see how how that was selfish and how um, I had a lot of guilt and shame around that um, when she was trying to survive survive intensely and and I was trying to die I guess intensely and um, another thing was that that my mum had um, a spare a spare key to my my house because um, I guess overdoses for me were were um, an occurrence like um happened quite a bit and and whenever I wouldn't answer my phone she would get concerned that that I'd passed away in my unit um I thought she was overreacting but looking back on it now um rightly so like um I could have easily passed away and and she made sure she had a key so she could call police and and get them to come and make sure um I was okay yeah so things started to hit me I guess um that I needed recovery and and I broke up with um my ex-partner and me broke up and um I guess I guess things got more intense like I tried me too tried different ways of trying to stop I had three naltrexone implants which is um another form of drug replacement I tried using everything else bar my drug of choice um I tried a lot of different things obviously going into um mental health treatment going into um being on antipsychotics and and any anxiety and depression medication but nothing nothing would stop it so my mum decided to take me um to an NA meeting because she was she was in a different fellowship at that time and and she had some recovery so she she um definitely was kind of a hope figure to me um and I remember going to my first NA meeting and and just feeling like I was home like I never fit I never fitted in anywhere like whether it be school um or other places like uni, um, into I never fi- I never felt like I fitted into the world, and and to be there and to hear people talk about their experience, strength, and hope, and and talk about their recovery, and talk about how much their life had changed for the better. Um, I definitely definitely knew that 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 was a positive place to be, and and even though I didn't get recovery at that time, um, that memory stuck with me and. And I continued to use, and it continued to get worse and worse. And um, and police involvement, um, having to fund my addiction, stealing from my dad, um, hooking up with my drug dealer, um, it really had become a mess. Um, yeah. Okay. So when did you start getting serious about your recovery? Um, I guess that had been three years three months and five days ago. <laughs> um, to be precise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, when I decided to um, to enter treatment, um, enter a rehab. Um, people in, in my life, I guess, and, and in NA saw that my life had really gone downhill and they were really afraid that, that I was going to pass away. Um, so they got me, they got me into treatment, um, which I'm ex- extremely grateful for these days. So um, I started going to meetings, um, after I left treatment, going to meetings, as many meetings as possible, um, getting a connection to the to the greater world, I guess. Um, like I'm a quite a spiritual person these days and um, enjoy nature. Like animals were always my friends growing up and, and I have, have a really strong connection um, with nature and, and animals and stuff like that. So um, getting a sponsor, someone to help guide me through how to live life again because I didn't have – I didn't know what that was. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, thanks. Um, and how about you, Michael? What what got you into NA and got you serious about recovery? Um, uh, initially, um, it was through rehab. So um, I, I first got clean in 2008 and they suggested I go into rehab. So I did a three-month rehab down in Frankston and um, a part of their program was um, uh, suggested NA meetings. So um, I started NA there um, and I did get a lot of hope from meetings. Um, I didn't do what was suggested initially well, initially for the first four or five years. Um, <laughs> Takes us a while sometimes. Yeah, slow learners, quick forgetters. Um, 
but but yeah, I, I did get a, a good message of hope. And, um, you know, I saw people from all walks of life. There were bikies, there were grandmas, there were young kids. Um, there were people just like me. And, um, you know, it didn't really matter what, what they'd used or what they'd done, where, what background they've come from. They, you know, they, they felt like I did. And, um, and they did some of the things that I did. They did some of the things that I hadn't or I, ha- I had yet to do. Um, and... Yeah, um, I I too felt like that was a place I I belonged at. Like I felt comfortable there. Um, I felt like people got me. People understood me, and um, and importantly that that it was safe to express how I felt, and that it was okay. Um, and they gave me a bit of guidance about about what I should do. And when I chose to listen, um, I knew there was four or five things I had to do in order to get free. Um, and so, um, I can continue to be free if I keep doing those things. Yeah. So how long have you been sober? Um, free? (laughs) (laughs) Or sober and clean? Clean, free, sober. Um, uh, five and a half years. Five and a half. Okay. Okay. Um, so Sandy, do you want to say anything more about being in NA? Yeah. Um, I don't know, like NA for me, I guess, has given me a new life. Um, I guess I I didn't in no way, shape or form I chose to be an addict. um, Just under circumstances, it it just happened. And and I guess it's sad to have stigmatisation between that and mental health. But but NA, like, is a fantastic place that has given me the life I have today. Like, I'm able to function like a normal human being today. I'm able to freely go out of the house as I wish um I don't suffer from from major anxiety or major depression anymore um I've gone through some some really hard stuff I I lost um an ex-partner to this disease I lost a best friend to this um disease and and I've lost a lot of people to this disease but um today I feel like I've been given a second chance like I've gone back um I've studied alcohol and other drugs and, and mental health and um, currently working in the field. So, like, it's it's amazing mm. to be able to to have a life that I, I give... I get shivers sometimes because I can't ever have imagined um, me living this life and, and I have great, um, great relationships with people in my life today, including um, my parents. Like, I stole from my dad and, and mm. he's in another fellowship and and we have an incredible close relationship um and same as my mum like she went through the same things that I went through and and today um we can be close like we're closer than ever and um I'm really grateful for for her showing me um how to get out of the life I was living so yeah yeah yeah, that's great okay um if anybody would like to know more about Narcotics Anonymous and how they could help you then you can phone them on 03 9525 2833, or you can go online at navic.net.au. Uh, that's about all we've got time for today, so I'd like to th- thank Michael and Sandy for coming into the 3CR studio and sharing their Narcotics Anonymous recovery experience with us. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you very Bill. much for having us. I uh, hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about the family disease of alcoholism and we'll be joined by some members of the Al-Anon family groups. Uh, Stay tuned now for Black Noise Radio, hosted by Kerry Lee and featuring black news and views, current affairs, music, sport, culture and the arts, all from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. Thanks for listening to Living Free Program today.